Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3? Uh, I want to read a scripture uh, this morning and then, um, yeah, can I kind of connect it to the, the bigger picture of this, the thing that's been in my heart uh, this week and has been praying all our time, but I do want to take time to go back and, and look at the passage we read last week because I know we asked people um, to read it and think about it, and if you have, I want to make sure we make room for that. But I was kind of stunned this morning um, when I looked at these passages um, in First Peter and how it kind of echoed what we talked about a little bit last week about how sometimes in these great uh, passages that seem to have these epic spiritual, you know, implications, there's these really practical things in the middle of it. And I think this passage in First Peter does as well. Uh, so this morning, I just have been thinking a lot, and I'm not trying to, um, it's my heart to continue a conversation or to spark a conversation, um, and, and maybe some of that we'll have actually here this morning, we'll talk about it together, uh, but just to hopefully bring fuel to a conversation that I hope that we can have with each other uh, in, these, in these weeks about the kingship of Jesus and the majesty of Jesus. You know, Advent is a time, there's been several years as a church, we've gone through Advent together. I remember one year Gabe taught us, I went through Advent, I think another year Katie and Jesse helped facilitate uh, specific readings, and we think that's really beautiful, it's not something obviously that we do every year. Um, and, but this year, the, the scripture that was really, or this, this idea of kingship, um, has been, been really growing in my heart. It's funny because uh, John Carruthers this morning asked me, he said, oh, Luke told me that sometimes you listen to Jim Gaffigan before you go to sleep at night. And uh, how many of you know who Jim Gaffigan is? Your, your face right now is like, oh, really? Yeah, that's what I do for quiet time. Yeah. So for, for me at night, you know, I like to have time connecting with Adrian and Abby. And a lot of times, especially uh, if I'm the first one to sleep, which is happening most often in my house now, it's kind of funny with my mom and dad there because I used to make fun of my dad. Uh, my mom and I would stay up watching TV and my dad would have to go to bed early. And now I'm definitely that person. Um, 9.30, you 9.30, yeah, I'm starting to clock out at 9.30. Um, and, and I was always like a night owl. Um, but in the midst of that, a lot of times I like having just some time with the Lord. And then uh, for me, if I have to do something to start coming down or rest. If I start... If I start into like, if it was a bunch of listening to sermons and you're going to sleep, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I would never sleep. I just, oh my gosh, it's amazing. You know, I like to listen to something. So sometimes it's a, it's a documentary. Uh, sometimes it's some music. But for, for a little bit when we were in Seattle, I was listening to some Jim Gaffigan, and evidently John thought that was a good idea to try. So he said, I used to listen to Jim Gaffigan, and I said, not right now, right now. I'm back up to like a documentary, kind of a loop, and. Um, I do love listening to things. Basically, for me, my goal is to listen to like two minutes and I'm asleep if that's the goal. But every once in a while, I'll find something. So I can listen to one podcast for like a month because it doesn't take me long. Oh, I did only got 30 seconds last night. (laughs) But one of the things that has been kind of like just stirring up in my heart is uh, I went back and started looking at um, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. Have you ever seen any of the video of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth? Yes? Uh, it's really interesting because, first of all, it was a scandal that um, they even asked to televise this. Like, Winston Churchill was the prime minister at the time, and he was completely opposed to it. 
And there's a fascinating story about how uh, the, queen's, the queen's husband, who was Prince Philip, he uh, was really about bringing the royal family. He wanted them to feel more accessible, and he wanted to bring them into more of a modern, uh, modern age. But the queen's mother, who was also named Elizabeth, she was completely opposed to it. And so they asked Winston Churchill, and Churchill said, absolutely not. But someone leaked it to the press. And about three or four weeks before the coronation, there was a public opinion poll, and 78% of Great Britain said, we should be able to watch this on TV. And so guess what they did? They decided they would televise this thing. And so um, the, the Queen's uh, secretary, the person who handled all of her affairs, did not want to televise it because she was afraid, or he was afraid rather, that it would give people a peek behind the magic and the mystique of the monarchy would be lost forever, right? And that was the big reason for not wanting to do it. But they did, and so now, 60-some years later, we can go and watch it on YouTube, right? YouTube, there's a two-hour and like 50-minute video of this, of this coronation. So I just want to start the conversation here, I'm going to read the scripture, and then we'll get into this a little bit more. But do you know what happens at a coronation? Does anybody know? Jared, go for it, man. Somebody becomes the king or queen. Somebody becomes the king or queen. That's what I thought. But actually, that's not what happens. Because the moment that Queen Elizabeth's father died, she became queen. The coronation is about receiving and recognizing, but it's not about becoming. And the song we sang this morning, Joy to the World, The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Is my hope in having this conversation that we understand God doesn't need us to receive him in order for him to be king. How many of us really recognize that completely? But yet there is something in our receiving of his kingship that is so important to the king, to his kingdom, and for your life and my life. It's our receiving of him as king. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll look in verse 13. It says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. conscience. And when you do, they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for to do evil. In the middle of this, in the middle of this passage, which, by the way, this is a great passage for me. Like I was reading 2 Peter and then 1 Peter at the beginning of the pandemic. And so as different conversations are happening around, oh, they're persecuting us. Like I'm reading 1 and 2 Peter, and Peter was like familiar with what it meant to be persecuted, right? And his attitude, just like as a side note, his attitude of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of suffering is so incredible. So if you ever feel pressed, it's a good place to go, right? A good place to go and get this idea. But in the midst of these few verses that we just read is this phrase, sanctify Christ in your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Set him apart. Crown him as the Lord and King of your heart. There is a place that beyond the absolute fact, I love, I mean, John is one of my favorite teachers on the whole planet. I remember listening to him teach years ago, and he talked about how there is a historical fact 
that Jesus Christ died for you. It's history. It's a fact. It is history that and he came once. This is beautiful. Advent is beautiful. We are doing, as a family, doing Advent readings. Advent is beautiful because it gets us into uh, examining the mystery of the coming of Christ. Of what it was like when he came that first time. What it looks like when he comes to us in our, like, does, does he appear to you in your life now? There are times whenever he says, when you call, I will come. But yet there is a coming that we are told to watch for and wait for. And we sing about it and we worship about it. And in the same way that there is a historical fact of his, of his coming, of his life, of his death, of his burial and his resurrection, there is also a fact that is, that is beyond anything that I can go to. It's beyond any uh, other uh, set of logic that I can appeal to. That he is king. There is not an opportunity for him to be dethroned. Do you believe that? He, he will not be outvoted. There will not be a coup. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, period. And yet there is something in his heart that actually cares that you set him apart as king in your heart. The beauty of the incarnation is that an eternal God with an eternal perspective comes and is completely present with us here. And so he is not just the eternal existential God who is out there far away, who is absolute ruler. He is personal. And he desires our complete surrender to his royal rule and reigning in our own lives. Sanctify Christ as king in your own heart, as Lord in your own heart. That is not something that we do just one time. It is, an, it is, I believe, an ongoing process of receiving our King. And I'm challenged and stirred in this Advent season. Uh, again, I don't know if they still make them, but are there still Scratch and Sift stickers? Stickers? Yes? No? Probably. Probably, maybe. These things came out when I was like in first or second grade. And I remember the dill pickle one. You would... Scratch a sticker, and then you smell it. Oh, it does. It smells like pickles. And then there'd be one that had like a strawberry shortcake on you. Scratch it. Oh, you know what? I hope that our conversations is like a scratch and sniff sticker. I hope that every glimpse that we get of him just lures us in further. Because we long, like I don't want the way that I've received him as king before to be the ultimate. I want to grow in my receiving of him. Does that make sense? But if we look at <coughs> if we look at this passage, look up into verse eight. It says, "Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit the blessing." He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who are, do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled 
but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So I think this is so crazy because we have this big picture. What's that? That is uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Sorry, it was just a passage immediately above it. The context of the sanctified Christ as king in your heart, as Lord in your heart, comes from, hey, treat each other with love. The way that you walk, the way that you talk to each other, the way that you use your tongue with each other. Look at verse 8 again. Finally, be of one mind, having compassion for another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. There is not a disconnection. See, in my mind, my worship of him wants to take me into this place of ecstasy and worship. It's like this moment where nobody's there but me and God. But in the view, in the economy of God, and in so many of these passages we're reading, the way that we live out our worship is the way that we humble ourselves and live and conduct life with each other. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 quickly. For any of you who've grown up in Pentecostal or charismatic, quote-unquote, spirit-filled churches, Ephesians 4 usually leads to talk about the fivefold. But before we get to the fivefold, there's this beautiful passage at the beginning of Ephesians 4 that Paul starts out by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What is that calling? What is that calling? What does it mean to walk worthy of our calling in Christ? And I like doing this sometimes, especially when I go to like uh, missions bases or ministry schools. I'll say, what do you think it means to walk worthy of your calling in Jesus? And depending on where I'm at, some people might say, oh, uh, you, you, you move in signs and wonders, or you're great at preaching the gospel, or you have good Bible knowledge, or you're a man of worship, or a man of prayer. Look what he says it means to walk worthy of the calling that we're called with. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness. With long suffering. How many of you love the word long suffering? <laughs> you know there's something about the majesty of our God? There's, God is love, and love is long suffering. And so there are moments that we would pray for God to get us out of so we don't have to suffer long, and He's saying, No, I'm inviting you to become more like me. Stop trying to miss this moment. To become like me. Has that ever happened for you? Anybody else but me? Right? I don't want to be patient. I don't want to suffer long. I just want to, I just want the breakthrough. I just want the blessing. The blessing is in the midst of that opportunity to receive. Paul says, I want to know him. The power of his cross and the fellowship of his sufferings. I believe that word there is the word fellowship, the word koinonia. I want that deep exchange that's found there. But we can live so easily in a culture where following Jesus is ultimately for what benefits us. Does that make sense? We could write really good books, you know, about, you know, I, I tease people sometimes, you probably heard me say, like, you know, if Moses were alive today, he could write a book called How to Get Water from a Rock. And it would be a bestseller in our culture. Because we love the how-to things. We love the step-by-step, show us how to do this. And what he's asking, inviting us is, walk with me. Be with me. Abide in me. Commune with me. Receive. Receive the ongoing action. I believe that it's important for us to be born again. But 
Born again is the beginning. Born again is the beginning of our journey with him, not the end. And so the, the process of receiving Jesus as king, of us receiving, of the earth receiving her king, of me receiving the kingship of Jesus, is a lot to do with my heart posture. And Paul says here, Peter says in, in 1 Peter that it happens as we walk with tenderheartedness and, and brotherly affection, not giving back curses for curses, but we bless whatever. Who else said that? Oh, there was another one who walked, right? His name was Jesus. And he said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to bless those. What does the word bless mean? Does anyone know? Make happy? That's, that's part of it. What else do we have? Isn't it just like praying good things for them? That's a very, that can be a very practical, that's a very practical way to bless, but the idea of blessing someone that kind of is the idea of bestowing upon someone something of value. Right? So bestow great value and make them happy, the people who are despitefully using you. This is the way of our king. And part of receiving our king is making room for that in our own lives. Let's read just a little further in, in, in chapter 4, then we'll go back to our passage from last week. With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep reading, there is one body and one spirit, and you were called in the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Does it make sense to receive the kingship of Jesus and, and worship in the, in the majesty of Jesus and to walk worthy? By the way, the word worthy and worship are, are completely tied together. Uh, the English word Worship was originally worship. So the idea of the worthiness of the one that you are worshiping, right? It's the worship. He is, he is worth it. And so if what he says, this is how you will worship me, is you will walk with each other and you will love each other and you will make room in your life to bear with one another in love. Often in our culture, we can try to extract ourselves from the need of bearing with anyone and call that focus. We can try to remove ourselves from opportunities or situations that kind of feel like it's not convenient for us or most expedient for our own selves and call that focus or priority. And, and whenever we hear in these passages about sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts, about walking worthy of his calling, he's pointing back to these pesky things called people. And John, the beloved disciple, would even say, don't say you love God if you are not walking in love with your brothers and sisters. And I did not start out this let earth receive her king thing thinking about this. I was kind of, so, even me with my perspective that I read with, I was surprised everywhere I was looking in this, I'm finding this connection between this way that we live out our worship of Jesus and the way that we're called to endure with each other. It doesn't sound good. Right. What's your name again? Kayla. Kayla. Kayla has known this amazing woman since they were six. 
If there's any real friendship, there's been some time you had to endure something. <laughs> My mom and dad are going to be married 50 years coming up next year. So I realized I got a, on my Christmas tree, one of the special ornaments that I got when we got married uh, almost 24 years ago was I got a little red soldier, a little wooden soldier that my mom painted. And I didn't know when it was, you know, when it was purchased or how long it's been around, but she said she got that uh, for their first Christmas tree. So we clapped for the soldier last night and hung him on the first, he's got a front row seat because it's 50th, 50th Christmas tree, um, is this little soldier. You know, that little soldier, <laughs> ornaments break a lot. That little soldier has gone through a lot uh, to make it 50 years. But I promise you that little soldier's not gone through nearly as much as my mom and dad have gone through persevering and love with each other. Let's take their own relationship out of it. They've persevered in raising three kids. They've persevered through jobs. They've persevered through heartbreak with other family members. It's just a part of life that we get invited to. But if we can recognize it's a part of life that's connected to receiving the kingship of Jesus. The way, that I, the way that I'm called to love and walk in this earth, the way that I'm called to give him, I mean, I love the, by the way, if you want to look, I think it's Psalm 96 is the psalm that Isaac Watts wrote George of the World as, as the inspiration from. It's beautiful. It reminds me a lot of what Jared taught us uh, uh, six weeks ago or so uh, about the different ways of worship. And it talks about making a shout uh, or a loud shout. How many of you know that God is worthy of a loud shout, right? He's worthy of us dancing and, and jumping up and down. He's worthy of us being still on the floor. He's worthy of everything I'm comfortable with and even the things I'm not comfortable with. But he's worthy of put one way to receiving him as king in my life is shown out in these passages is in the way that we learn to interact with each other. Let's go back to Philippians 2. Um, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. This is the passage we read last week. And I just want to touch on this and see if there's any, any updates from you guys. Um, either if you were here last week or if you listened to it, Derek sent it out. But listen to this passage as it comes to the advent of Jesus. We're going to start reading uh, in verse number... Five, and listen to this, the beauty of the way that he came as our king and then the instruction of what it means to give ourselves for him, all right? Listen to this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Let this mind be in you, which was also Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Does anybody have a different translation? It's not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Did not consider equality with God to be something used to his own advantage. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, what does Hebrews tell us? He is the exact representation or the exact radiance 
of God. And yet when he came, he didn't think that was something he should use to his advantage. What is that? Does that say anything to anybody? Not to take advantage of people using the things that's given. That's really good. Very practical. Often in our immaturity, as we understand who we are in Christ, it's easy to to uh, try to like almost use that against other people. <laughs> I remember. I remember. Like, I just kind of realized that for the third, fourth time that we would teach on identity, all of a sudden people would be like, "I'm a son of God. Why aren't you treating me better?" That's, that's in our immaturity that happens. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider equality to be robbery, but he didn't use that for his own advantage. That's a pretty good card to keep in your hand. Right? Keep reading. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Say, highly exalted him. Let's try that one more time. There's not a lot of us today, but let's try it. We can be strong on that. Highly exalted him. Highly exalted him. What does that mean? To praise him, to raise him up. Because he was humble, because he was obedient, God has raised him up. And given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and those in heaven, and those on earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my absence, but now much more, or not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We said last week the idea of working out our salvation is like exercising our salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but we work it out. That, that picture of it, it being worked on like the little Jewish woman who is working that leaven into the dough. She is working it in. And that little leaven leavens the whole lump. We take the, the gift of God's salvation in our lives and we exercise it. And if this week God is working in your area of, like what we talked about last week, we'll get to in just a second, about doing everything without complaining. If that's the area he's working into, okay, God, how can I work this into every relationship in my life? How can I work this into the way that I'm, I'm thinking? I have people come talk to me and say, like, man, I didn't realize I complain so much. <laughs> it's easy to do. We, we can, I, listen, I'm not saying you should run around using, you know, ex expletives. But we can, like, not say the bad cuss words and complain and think that we have uh, pure language. But our mouths can be full of poison and bitterness, even if we've never dropped an F-bomb. But if we're complaining,
plain. Scripture is really clear about what to do with that. Do everything. Let's, let's, let's read it. I'm ahead of myself. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So exercise, work it out. Work it, work it, work it. Right? Exercise, work it out. For God, look at verse 13 again. For it is God, say it is God. Who works in, let's say me, okay? For it is God who works in me. For it is God who works in me. For it is God who works in me. What? Both to will and to do his good pleasure. What is your purpose on the planet? His good pleasure. It is God. Say it is God. Who works in me. Now say it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. What? Both to will and to do his good pleasure. Next, do all things without complaining and disputing. Again, I just, I wanted to come back here because I think in receiving the kingship of Jesus, again, I know I just said it, I'm repeating myself, but I hope you get it. When I picture the coronation, I don't picture me not complaining. But there is something about the one, what it means to have the mind, let this mind be in you who is also in Christ Jesus. There is something about following him in humility and obedience that I work out my worship for him. I work out the salvation, the gift of salvation. I exercise that gift of salvation by coming into this understanding that it is not me who is working to do God's pleasure. It's God working in me. There's nothing I have need of because there's nothing he hasn't done. And as long as the struggle lays on me to try to become more godly, guys, I'm 47 years old. I've, I was born again when I was four. And I'm telling you, I'm not a good enough man at 47 after 43 years of knowing God. I am not good enough man to be godly as long as it's up to me to do the work. But it is God who works in me. It is God who works in you. Our goal is to cooperate and to let the mindset that's in him be in me. Does that make sense? Yeah? This is a part of what it means to receive the kingship of Jesus and understanding that the, I'm not just invited to receive his gift of forgiveness. How many of you are thankful for the gift of forgiveness? How many of you have sins that you need to be forgiven of? How many of you say, thank you God for forgiving me? But that's not the end of the gospel. It's the beginning of the gospel. Reformed theology teaches that the beginning of the gospel is how dark and depraved we are. But actually, the beginning of the gospel goes back before that. Because before sin into the world, there was a God who said, let's make man in our image. This is my best idea. I want to make man in my image. I want to create him so we can walk with him. That is the beginning of the gospel. Before there was a you, there was a God who saw you and thought you were worth the gospel. There was a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who conspired together to say, let us make them be like us. And then he gave us his breath. And even in our worst moment, even in our apple moment, even in our choice to disobey, 
God commended his love to us. And while we were in our own sin, he sent Christ to die for us. Let this mind be in you, who was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not use that to his own advantage. Whose advantage did he use it for? And he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death. Therefore, God gave him a name. God exalted him and gave him a name like no other name. I'm singing out your lovely name. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Okay. I want to, um, we're not going to, we're going to talk anymore in Philippians chapter 2. If you've not been meditating on this, I would encourage you just to meditate on this passage. I love how practical it ties in the majesty of Jesus and the simple instructions of how we can walk. Guys, it is, a, listen, do all things without complaining or disputing. That's impossible. How many of you, how many of you in the last month have felt justified to complain. Has, has it ever felt responsible to complain? Like, someone's got to complain. <laughs> Is there anybody else but me? Just like, am I the only one saying this? Someone's got to say something about this. But boy, if it comes from an attitude of complaining, it is not going to be words of life. Let me, let me read to you a little bit uh, about this idea of recognizing. So in the coronation, there's several different things that happen. I don't expect everybody to go home and watch the two and a half an hour uh, YouTube video. There are several colors, colorized versions that are shorter you can watch. But it's crazy. I mean, a lot of it is just crazy ceremony. But like, you will hear the name of Jesus used so many times talking about him being the ruler, right? And it was crazy, but the, the anointing of oil. Do you know that whenever they anoint at a coronation, this just wasn't for TV, there's these four men who bring uh, this like moving tent and it comes and hovers over the person that's being coronated. And then the bishop goes under the tent and then they anoint with oil because nobody else can see that. It's too holy, it's too private. And they pray for the empowerment of the one who's going to rule. That's crazy. There is all these gifts that come. They, I mean, guys, this, this, this Elizabeth was getting the sword, right? So there's a sword that gets given to her, and then she goes and lays the sword at the altar. And then this other duke comes and buys it back. He redeems the sword from the altar and comes and lays it at her feet. It's like the, 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 the symbolism in it is just crazy. She is the head of the Church of England, like, takes off her crown to serve communion. And I'm not, this is not about England or the royal family. I'm, not, I'm just saying it's this picture of majesty that's helping me understand something. But here's what I want to do. I want to bring this together and talk about this one part of the ceremony called the recognition. Say the recognition. Right. So, again, 
Elizabeth wakes up one morning. She's 25 years old. She finds out that her father passed away the night before, kind of in the middle of the night. And so 16 months later, 16 months later is her coronation. She is already queen. And it is just incredible how lavish this ceremony is. She had a five-pound crown. Five pounds. That's a lot. 25-year-old woman wearing this five-pound crown. She had uh, all, like a whole series of robes that were made for this thing. And people were coming, and there was like the... The, the, the lady of the the lady of the robe and there, I mean there's all these different people who had jobs just to come and do one thing. It reminds me of what Jared was talking about when we were talking about worship a little while ago, about the commissioning of singers and how many singers were commissioned. And like if you go through and start reading all the details of it, it's ridiculous. And if you just watch if you just watch this coordination on YouTube and you recognize this is just what some mere mortals could come up with. The majesty of heaven cannot be contained on YouTube. You can quote me on that, right? <laughs> like, I, I want to talk about this for a second because I think in his humility, it's easy for us to miss his majesty. And that would be a shame. He, we are called to follow him in his humility, but it's because of his majesty that's such a gift. We're going to finish this time in just a minute by, by reading an invitation or an exhortation from Jesus himself. But I, I think it's important to recognize that the, this idea of king of kings and lord of lords may not mean to, as much to us in a uh, Western context, uh, especially in a uh, form of government where we don't have kings and queens and lords and ladies. But if I remember correctly, the very next thing that happens after they crown, put the crown on Elizabeth's head, and this is, by the way, this is the same ceremony that happened 16 years earlier when her father was made king. So this is the same thing. The very next thing that happened is all the lords and dukes came in. And one by one, the duke or the lord would go and kneel before, they would take off their own crown and go and kneel before the queen, confess their allegiance to the queen, and then kiss their crown. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of his mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. Somehow, in the design of God, he's allowed you to decide whether you, at this point in time, will sanctify him as king in your own heart. He has given us that option. Now, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But I'm telling you, in a daily way, we get to receive him as our king. Part of that receiving is by laying down our own crown. Laying down our own right 
to rule. How many of you like the right to rule your own life? That's me in the corner. <laughs> After all of these, by the way, the very first, for Elizabeth, the very first one to do that was her husband. After that, the Archbishop comes in, and this is the part that stuck, just struck my heart. The Archbishop comes in and asks everyone to stand, and Elizabeth gets down off her throne, and she goes, I think it's actually first to the east. So she goes to the east, and everyone is standing, and the Archbishop says, I present to you, Elizabeth, your undoubted queen. I present to you, Elizabeth, your undoubted queen. Do you, those who, those of you who come this day in homage and service to her, and they respond, God save the queen. God save Elizabeth. Then he turns from the east to the south. I come. Let me actually read you the quote. There's no reason for me to have looked it up and not actually give it to you. I present unto you, Jesus, the undoubted king, wherefore all you who are come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? I present to you, Jesus. That bishop said, I present to you, Elizabeth, your undoubted queen. Wherefore, all you who are come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? There is, there is a part of our receiving of king that does two things. And then we'll, we'll read the verse and we'll go home. Okay. Number one, there's a part of this in which a part of our receiving is our willingness to present. This bishop said, I'm presenting. Are you willing to do the same? I present Jesus. He's my undoubted king. Are you willing to do the same? It's humbling. If I was not grabbed at the microphone and grabbed in the seat, I would have to acknowledge there are times whenever I'm not so willing to make that presentation. But the second thing is this idea of to the east, to the south, to the west, to the north. Everyone. He is king. I would submit to you he's king whether you receive him or not. But there is a place in our receiving of him that not only impacts the way we walk out that worthy call, it not only impacts the way that we uh, walk out the way we present him to others. But there's a place in our own receiving of his kingdom that means we recognize he's king and I'm not. That's me taking that crown off and putting it down. Turn real quickly, we'll read one last passage. Matthew chapter 16. Are you guys tracking with me? 
We good? Okay. Again, remember the purpose of this time when I'm, when I'm praying is a scratch and sniff. I'm saying we are not diving deep into everything. There's lists of verses we can read about the majesty of Jesus. And maybe I'll see if we can send some of those out. But just an Old Testament, New Testament. He is, there's no one else like him. There's no one else like him. But these are, this is the word of the one. These are the words of the one who we are receiving. Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, sorry. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciple, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. I want you to know, what I already say, I'm, I'm troubled, I'm not angry. I'm glad we came today. <laughs> you ready? I just get this growing feeling inside of me. And I'm not talking to any, anyone in this room individually. I'm not uh, talking about AOX, uh, but I'm not excluding us either. I'm saying in the Western church, we have flocked to scriptures that talk about the abundant life of Jesus in a way that misses this part. And we have offered a gospel to us about what people can get out of it instead of his kingship. And I'm deeply troubled that there's not enough of our, if you want to follow me, it means losing your life. But in losing your life, you actually get mine. That's good news. And I remember, I remember several years ago being in this room, praying with a few people, and, and, and just hearing the, the, the prayers in our heart, which I think were really well-meaning prayer. But there was a lot of prayer. We were asking for God's blessing in different areas. And I realized God is so gracious and good that we can so easily end up with such a blessed life we don't want to lay it down. Does that make sense? And so we can, we can know God as a good father and see his hand of blessing and, and still miss out on the invitation from the majestic one to humble ourselves and lose our own lives. Now, I don't think that's a downer. I think it's actually, if we can see it, I think it's actually the most beautiful thing that's ever been breathed. Because the thing that led to God giving Jesus a name that was exalted, the thing that led to, to Jesus being the one who's lifted up was his willingness to be humble and obedient. And we have a father who has invited us into that same process. I love this. I believe that God has, for each and every one of you, regardless of whether I've known you for decades or whether I'm just meeting you today, I believe and have a conviction that God has put you on the planet for something no one else has the same or same desire for. You were created to show off an aspect of God's character and nature and purpose in this time in a, such a unique and beautiful way that it cannot be duplicated. God wants to show off 
the multifaceted, his multifaceted wisdom through you and through me and through his people. And at the same time, the call to Jesus was not, if anyone come after me, he gets to live out the dreams of his heart. I think the dreams of your heart are important. But the first call is lose your life to walk with me. Lay down your life to walk with me. How are you guys doing? You still there? Anybody? And I think that understanding this part of worship for him, right? I've been thinking about this song a lot this week. Worthy of every song we'll ever sing. Worthy of ever, every breath we'll ever breathe. Right? How many? How often is he jealous? His jealousness is not unkind. It's love, it's holy, it's desire. I love Sierra so much. She's got a very special place in my heart. And if I, like, we just went away and we came back and all of a sudden they're exposed to COVID. And so I was like, I haven't seen her. So when I saw her the first time, I, I like saw her from the other side of the car. She's outside, I'm like, oh, ah. I love Sierra. I would love to spend time with Sierra every day. That's a, that's, that's just a, I have real love for her. I don't have 24-7 jealousy for her. I hope Mike is growing more and more to a 24-7 holy kind of jealousy for Sierra. But I don't know if Mike has 24-7 jealousy for Sierra. But there's a God who loves us that is 24-7 jealous for my attention and my affection. Always inviting me with kindness to his throne to surrender my crown for his. Let's pray. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive our King. Third verse, the one that uh, isn't usually sung. It says, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curses. I just want to say, like, the idea of giving ourselves completely to Jesus is lived out practically in several different ways. I recognize for me to the east and to the south and to the north and or to the west and to the north, and I say, God, what does that mean for me? Is that there are areas of your life where I want to invite you afresh to receive my kingship? The way that I view my time, the way that I view my relationships, would you turn and receive my kingship? Would you recognize afresh my lordship, my kingship? Honestly, guys, there's been places where I feel hopeless. Will you receive my hope? Will you receive the hope of my kingship into those areas? For some of us, it may be financial. For some of us, it may be uh, just a, a crisis of, of uh, 
your own journey and, and trying to process that. It may be physical health. But could today we just ask God, would you lead us in this season of a clear vision of you as king? And, and would you grow us in this season to a place where we're receiving you in each of those areas? Problem with the coronation is it happened once. I recognize in my own life, it is not just once a day even that I have to come back and, and, and continually yield to him. It's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing, and that would be a problem had he not invited me to take every step with him. Every step I'm willing to walk with him is a step where I can acknowledge his leadership, his lordship, his kingship in my life. When I take a few minutes and walk by myself and say, no, I'm not going to do it that way, he doesn't leave me. He invites me back. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just help us. Uh, and when I say us, I start with me. God, I am just so frustrated by my own willingness to wonder. I want to burn for you, God. I want you to have every, I want you to have every breath and every song and every heartbeat. I don't want there to be one of those. But there are places, and I think sometimes it's because I don't trust. There's sometimes where I just feel like uh, there's stubborn willfulness. But today, God, I, I ask in my heart, God, I, I sense in the hearts of my friends, God, a desire to grow in receiving your kingship. So we acknowledge you. We acknowledge you as a, as a coming bridegroom. And we wait with longing for that. We, we know that you are the bridegroom king. We, we understand that in your vastness, God, you're, you are too big for us to comprehend all at once. But in this time of your advent, that we recognize the advent, God, I pray that our hearts would hunger for your coming. And specifically, that we would be aware of the fact that you're not coming in a manger again. That you return as the one who is worthy, as the king of kings. And may you have that place in our hearts now. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you uh, have any kind of need where you'd like to have